Welcome to iDeveloper Live, episode 44. We've reached the big double four, John. How are you doing? I'm dandy, and the best thing about it is that it's an anagram. So, I mean, anyway, either way you sell, it's still 44. It is. Do you know what? It's usually about this time. I, I, I get nervous when shows reach um, get close to 50. I usually change the name of the show in the feed and lose half the audience. But you're not going to do that this time, right? I like to cull my audience. It's, you know, it's, 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 you, know you, you just want to leave the quality, don't you? <laughs> That's it. It's so, kind of like talking about, you know, environmental problems on the earth, saying the earth is going to disappear when it's like, no, humans will disappear. I would say it's the same thing. It's like, you know, we'll disappear. The audience won't disappear, though. Okay, well, we are, we are here today and we've got the chat room with us. Um, again, now, there is a long delay, I think, because um, the uh, piece of string that they call broadband here in um, Tetbury is, um, I think, been... Um, split in half and divided between other people today so um maybe that's why only half the chat room can hear us now let, let, before we go any further job before we look at any news we, we, i'm going to get straight in because if i don't i will forget is the point remember when simon wolf was on the show was it like was he last week or was he the week before i can't remember was he last it was week? two weeks ago two weeks ago um what did we do last week then uh, what did we do last so we had we had we were uh, talking about storyboard we were, yes, we were rich wine. See, life just goes on and on. There we are. I know what I'm doing here. Um, two weeks ago, um, he's setting out on developing um, a new product called Avtag, and he was going to record the Avtag diaries for us, just to, to the warts and all approach. Um, and he's been loyal to that. He sent it in. I don't want to um, dishonor him by not playing it. So I'm going to play the Avtag diaries straight away. First thing, headline act did, of the show. Wait, but did you get some theme music for it? Not yet. I'm going to get Dave working on that. But Dave's been a bit busy because we, we got a new camera in. And of course, you know, we're trying to work out how to turn it on at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that we could do some more filming. So um, a couple of weeks, maybe, we'll get some theme, theme music done for this. Um, see, I, I could say at this point now in the show, Dave, could you do some theme music for the tag? But that would assume that when editing it, he actually listens to it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it does. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Simon Wolf with the Avtag Diaries. Hello, I'm Simon Wolf, and welcome to the Warts and All audio diary about the development of Avtag. Over the coming weeks and months, I'll be providing brief updates about my experiences of writing and releasing my own application, rather than writing code for other people. I hope that these updates will achieve two things. The first is that some listeners may be inspired to stop thinking about creating their own apps and actually go and do it. The second is that I'm hoping that people who've been through this process themselves will give me some advice and suggestions which I can try and then report back on. If you want to get in touch, then you can email or iMessage me via simon at ottersoftware.com or you can find me on Twitter as SGAW or AvTagApp. This week, I'm going to kick things off with a quick overview about how I'm funding Avtag's development. For just under two years, I've been a self-employed contract developer, but I'm not the stereotypical consultant who rolls around in piles of cash. Sadly, I don't have the savings to allow me to down tools and take a few months off to write Avtag. Therefore, last summer, I started speaking to people about what options I had to fund the development process, and here's what happened. The first thing I learned is a bit of a cliche, but it is absolutely true, is that an idea on its own is worthless. However much potential you think an idea has, the unrealized idea is worth nothing at all. As I discovered, an investor is not going to invest in just an idea. They might give you some money, but they'll want something in return and it will go beyond a share of the product. 
After all, why would an investor lend you, say, £10,000 just to own a percentage of an application? It would invariably work out better for them to hire someone to write the application for them, and then they own 100% of it. Therefore, an investor will usually want something like an investment in you or your future products, rather than just an investment in your idea. They may want to say in what your product does or what features it has, and this is not something that I particularly wanted. Now, you can write an application in your spare time, and plenty of people do just that. However, I know from a previous attempt that it's not a successful way for me to work, and I tend to need large blocks of time to be really productive. The odd hour or two here and there really doesn't suit me. The spare time route also presents another problem. I need to employ the services of a designer, and I've actually set a large percentage of my budget aside for them. Working in your spare time doesn't give you funds to pay other people whose services you may need during the development process. I therefore decided that I needed to have a period when Avtag was my primary development job and client work was secondary, and the only way I could fund this was with a loan. In my case, rather than it being a bank loan, I actually had a very generous relative who lent me the money on the grounds that I'd pay him more interest than the bank would. However, regardless of where a loan comes from, the most important element is planning how and when you'll pay it back. I made sure that the amount I borrowed could be paid back over a reasonable period that suited us both, and, more importantly, that I would be able to afford the loan repayments even if Agtag didn't sell a single copy. By all means, speculate and dream about what a massive success your application will be, but plan for the worst-case scenario, which is that you don't see any return at all from the application. And that wraps it up for the first instalment. Just a quick final reminder that you can email me or send me an iMessage at simon at ottersoftware.com or you can find me on Twitter as SGAW or as AvTagApp. I hope you've enjoyed this segment and don't forget to let Scotty know your thoughts too. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Simon, for that. Yes, please do let us know our thoughts. Um, John, have you ever had to get investment for one of your products? I'm sorry, have I ever? Had to get investment for one of your products. Um, I thought about it for, for a long time when I'd begun. You know, um, my prior company was venture funded after the first couple of years. We were self-funding and we wanted to grow. And, and so my then you know, partner and, and, and the CEO of the company went out and raised you know, $20 million in several rounds. Um, and I, I decided when I did Memory Miner that I, I wanted to bootstrap it entirely. You know, it, it's a very, very tough decision. You know, part of the reason why I tried to decided to bootstrap it was because by that point there had been a couple of people who had kind of shown the way, um, and also because of the, the cost of doing software development and, and deploying it had had dropped a lot. But uh, he, you know, Simon hit on something very, very important in that when you're starting up your own product, it, it, one of the worst feelings in the world is is Trying to to get other parts needed for it. The design is is a perfect example, and you want to have the best possible design. It just sucks having to try and, and kind of you know convince somebody to, to to do this work and not having money to pay them right then, or or trying to to dole it out in dribs and drabs. So. I think it's great if you are, if you are able to raise enough money that you can have a meaningful impact on on the project in the early days, and you can do it in the way that he's suggesting doing it. Do it with the idea that if the worst comes to worst, you make no money, you you at least won't have two of the, the of the biggest possible regrets after you've you've done something. One is that you didn't give it your your all, and and two that you you know in the process of trying it, you kind of you know 
nearly bankrupted yourself. So, you know, if you can get it under the conditions that, that Simon proposed, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, an important point. I mean, it's developing a software product is a gamble. I mean, it is probably slightly less of a gamble than going to the racetrack, but it, it's still a gamble. And so I, I guess you've got to make that assumption, the possibility I can lose everything. And what will that do to my life if I do lose everything? Um, and, you know, don't let it go beyond what you're prepared for this piece of software to cost you, really, I guess. Yeah, the, the worst thing about kind of losing everything is you end up face down in the gutter in Tetbury and then some very kind soul takes pity on you and says, hey, I can help resurrect you in your career. Come join me on my podcast. And that's what happened to me. I mean, without Scotty, I don't know where I'd have been. Well, John, that's um, very kind of you to say so. And, um, <laughs> yes, that paying for that first shower for you was very important. Right, okay. <laughs> We have a guest who's been very patiently waiting in the wings, um, primarily because I forgot to set the technology up that he could hear the Simon interview so uh, piece so that he couldn't comment on it. John, you met our guest at Macworld this year. Um, I did. You suggested we bring him on. You chose someone with a really complicated name. <laughs> you can introduce him. We have Joe Smith from, from Tuna Fish, Wyoming, joining us today. No, just kidding. We have uh, Ciprian Chichkevich, who is, is the more little... Ciprian, sorry. Ciprian Chichkevich. Chichkevich. Hi, guys. That's, that is pretty close, yes. Huh? Okay, well, why don't you say it for us a couple of times, and I'll, I'll give you a beat. Ciprian Chichkevich. Ciprian Chichkevich. Oh, no, there we are. That's good. Oh, that was good. That's that, good. I like that. Dave, there's your new theme music for it. No, but he, let, let, me, let me give a quick you know, bit of backstory. You know, when I go to Macworld, I'm always interested in finding the little kind of things that I haven't seen before, I haven't looked at before. But one of the things I find very interesting in this whole kind of indie developer world is when, when little pockets of, of development community or, or little rising stars or even big stars in the case of Cyprian um, pop up in places where you wouldn't expect it. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, if, if our podcast you know, reaches some far-flung place in the world and gives a little bit of encouragement and help to people, then I'm very, very happy. Um, but I saw this this uh, this product offering that he had, this service offering, and I thought it was really very interesting. And we're going to talk about it. But uh, you know, as, as interested as I am in the product, I'm also interested in in somebody's experience the first time at MacWorld, and also interesting in, in in kind of figuring out how they they put together their career and the path that got them to being an indie. So um, let me let me see if I can 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 make a segue here. So you know. We we give Simon grief all the time, but and but there's no denying that he has this this kind of panty moistening baritone voice, and it's it's really it's not unlike unlike you know a Barry White song that you can just be certain that that as this, as people are listening to his voice, you know love is being made and children are, are will will be soon coming along. But it turns out that there is this very interesting website called I Just Made Love, and uh, Cyprian, you had something to do with this, didn't you? Cyprian, sorry. Yes, you kind of made it to feel like I was presenting that on Macworld, but uh, no, I was not. I Just Made Love was a project that kind of uh, introduced me to um, iOS development, and uh, it was a project that I did in 2009 just for fun. It was a website where people just could uh, mark where and when and how they uh, made uh, love, and it, it kind of uh, blew up, and uh, people got interested in the project all over the world, and uh, so it was a pretty funny experience that got me into um developing iOS applications because I wanted to uh, put uh, the software on the mobile devices 
and you know would be able to get the data from the GPS built devices. So that kind of got me into uh, developing applications. And I just made love is still available for you guys to just check it out and see what it is. While Scotty has been, you know, paying not paying attention to us, he's been trying to up the statistics for England, which is <laughs> <laughs> the country with the greatest lack lack of love. Well, that's interesting. So now let's talk about a little bit about uh, about testing applications because this is something that's been on my mind in a while, and and will help explain why we're here. So. You know, when you're developing for touch devices, a hallmark of a good application is you just start it up and people instinctively know what to do. Or if they don't, they start touching, they start tapping, they start pinching, squeezing, zooming, doing all these different things. And it they're always like rewarded. That should be on the I just made love website as well, doesn't it? I'm sorry. Yes, all exactly. those things. <laughs> Pinching, squeezing, in all that sort of Zooming. Stuff. Yes. All those different things. And you immediately get feedback. And you know, and when you're you're building an application, you're deep into it. You're especially let's think about you know our, our friend Simon. You're deep into the you know the early days of your software development, and you you it's almost like you kind of find yourself in a groove when you you're compiling your app, you're running it, you're kind of testing to see does something work. You know exactly which way to go, and you are almost like in a maze, but with very well worn grooves. And then you give your application off to someone else, and if you're if you're smart and honest with yourself, you'll just hand it to them. You won't give any introduction, you won't give any background, you won't kind of hover over them. You just hand it to them and let them see what happens. And there's no more kind of brutal, uh, you know, kind of thumbs up or thumbs down or appreciation of your application when it's given to somebody who's never seen it, never heard of it before. And you have an opportunity, hopefully, to do that a couple of times with, with you know, one or two close friends and family. But even then, you'll soon run out of people who have that all-important beginner's mind. And so what got me so excited when I, I arrived at this tiny little booth in, in Macworlds, I saw something that was a software that allowed you to do on your iOS applications and, and, and other mobile applications to be able to, to do heat maps. And I'm going to let Cyprian tell us what is a heat map and how help us make sense of this little this little background i gave hi john thanks uh, well the concept of heat maps uh, arrived when we had our own applications and we wanted to uh, figure out if people are you know using them the way we intended them to use and we looked at the existing technologies and uh, actually there was only one available it was eye tracking technology very expensive kind of testing that has uh, a lot of constraints for instance, it costs a lot. Uh, it requires you to find people that you want to test on. Uh, it requires you to um, take some time to find those people to set up the laboratory and get equipment to test people. And it's a controlled environment where people are always focused on the task you give them. So they already know you're testing them. So the results are not always as they would be in an uncontrolled environment. So taking all of that into account, we were trying to figure out if there are you know, tools available that we can use other than eye tracking. And apparently there was none. And the closest to it was uh, the click maps available on uh, web uh, websites. So we thought we took that thought and uh, we were, you know, trying to see if we are able to implement that approach, uh, that kind of usability tool into an iOS environment where you as a developer, indie developer or a company that creates application can get the real input from your real users that are at home, at work or whatever they choose to use your application. So in an uncontrolled environment, and, uh, they would not even know about you testing them. So they would just do whatever they feel naturally. So you could get the real data that would tell you how exactly they use it. 
And after a year of uh, you know developing and testing, we were able to uh, introduce the software on Macworld, and uh, we met a lot of uh, exciting uh, people that you know looked at it and said, "Hey, finally, finally, we can you know look at the input from the real users, not only the people that we know like friends, but uh, the people that actually use it." And the great thing about it is uh, you can actually test it in, on thousands of people immediately. I mean, if your application is used by thousands of people, in a matter of an hour or so, you can get the data from so many people and actually see on your own eyes where the mistakes uh, you know, lie within your application. So I think that pretty much sums up what, what we've been trying to uh, do with the heat maps. So, and it, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm actually fine. If, okay. you, if you need to ask. So, so then, all right. So, Scotty, have you ever have you ever looked at heat maps? Like, have you ever done a click tracking um, uh, software on on websites? Have you ever looked into that? Yeah, I mean, I've watched a, a little bit on, on websites. That seems to you know that's quite easy to follow. But a few times I've tried to look at it for uh, software, yeah, Mac software initially, and the whole. Um, said the whole setting it up and you know it was very much about designing a, a controlled environment and studio and having people come in not actually just be able to get sort of real time or you know, real statistics from real users um yeah it, it just basically as far as i was concerned wasn't probably very possible at the moment so this is great so then all right so we we understand why we want to have heat maps and what we can learn from it the, the next question is, is oh my gosh i want this how does this work how could i possibly do this Great. Well, when we first thought about it, it was very important to think uh, that it's not a usual analytics tool. What I mean by that, it's not an analytics tool that uh, you can watch data changes during the time. It's an aggregated view on your data. So the data comes in, we aggregate it, and we present you always the fresh, the most accurate data for the interactions of your users. And by knowing that, we... Uh, change the model because initially it was a subscription service where you would pay per month to get the data and to be able to look at them. But then we thought, hey, you know, if you implement heat maps in your project and you get a lot of data, there's going to be a point in, in this whole process where your data will just stop changing. Like the heat map of the, the interactions will, will just stop changing. So nobody would you know, like to pay money for data that doesn't really change. So we changed the idea of... Uh, the business model, or if you will, uh, into paying per uh, one test. So you can pay to test one screen of your application. And you, you pay once, it costs you $10 if you want to do that, and you get all the data for this one screen of your application. And you can get the heat map, you can get the first touch heat map, which will just show you what is the first thing that people touch. Uh, you can get the gestures that people do when they interact with this interface. So you, you already know what you pay for. It's not like an analytics tool that you, you know, pay per month and you, know, you may get good data or you may not. Here you pay 10 bucks, you get the data, you, you, you're done. If you want to do something with the data, like change the interface and decide to improve it and test it again, then you pay another 10 bucks. So it's a very easy uh, way to follow in terms of your uh, expenses as well. So if I, let me make sure I get it straight. If I have a, a, an iPhone application and let's say it's got 10 screens in it, okay, and I want to test them all, I pay you a 10 bucks a screen, so 100 bucks, and get all the results from that screen. Now, I can have the results from that screen for as long as I like, but if I change the screen I pay, I, I didn't quite get the, I pay another 10 bucks. Is that if I change that screen, Absolutely. if I add a new screen or... 
No, uh, well, Scott, when you think about uh, user experience, when you get the feedback, you may want to change the, the way you interact with the uh, user interface. If you, for instance, change the placement of a button or change its size, the data that you already have will, will interfere with the new data that will come in. I mean, you can leave the analytic tools inside, but the new data will not reflect uh, the changes that you made. So if you changed your interface, you need to uh, get fresh data and you pay for, you know, to be able to see fresh data for that element, for that screen. So for instance, at first my application has one big button on the, on the right corner of, of the application. And then I can see that you know, people have problems with that button. So I decide to change it, make it smaller, make it you know, better. So then I need to see how people interact with the smaller element. That's why you would pay another 10 bucks to see how people differently react to the new interface design. Okay, so I'll take my 10 screen app. Um, and I put it out there and I get my first set of test results back. I do a little bit of iteration because obviously you don't want to change things hugely necessarily unless there's some gaping holes when you're doing iteration. I put it out again, I pay, and I might go through that 10 times till I get it right for every screen. So then basically, you know, I've spent what's that, about a thousand bucks, isn't it? But actually, you know, that, that amount of feedback and testing and whatever else, I mean, I'm assuming it's been 10 times across all 10 screens, which is probably a fairly large example, you know, for a thousand bucks is actually still peanuts. Well, yes, and when we look at it in terms of uh, in terms of the development cycle of an application, you don't really you know update your interface uh, like every month. You do it you know constantly. Like, I mean, not constantly, but periodically. Like you would probably do it about four times in a year because you don't want you know constantly change the way people interact with it because people get used to your interface. So you get the information. You you must analyze it and then you know take the best approach to change it and then you can you know put it in and analyze it again. This is spectacular. So then how does, how does it work from a kind of technical point of view? What do you have to do as the developer? Well, for, as a developer, you just need to, um, it's, a, it's a framework. Well, I know right now the, the Cocoa developers are going to you know, shout, there is no such thing as a framework for uh, iOS, but it's a, it's a static library packed as a framework. So it's, it's, um, it's even easier for you to implement it. So what you do is you download the package from our website, you drag and drop the package into your project, and then you just uh, say start heat maps, which basically will start a process inside your application whenever it starts, and it will listen. And then in any screen, let's say it's a UI view, you can say hey, track this screen, and that's all you have to do. There's nothing else you have to do. So basically drag and drop the software in, and uh, call start to you know make it listen to what the users are doing and then you can say hey track this particular screen that's all you have to do it's very easy implementation and we have uh, videos on the on the website that are showing exactly how uh, quickly you can do it and and what would the overhead be if any you know when when this process is running in your app that's a great question i mean we didn't notice any overhead like in terms of interactions in terms of uh processor power nothing we, it's very light it's like 80 kilobits of uh, of, uh, of uh, a package and it just runs underneath and you can't really feel it so that's that's great about it we didn't want to impact the the usage of your application or the performance of your application so it just quietly sits there and anytime you perform an action it stores it and we even thought about this for instance you have uh, a lot of users and you're going to get all your data, uh, let's say, in about an hour. And we can send an information to all of the applications, turn off our software so it doesn't track anymore. So whenever you get all your, all your information for your application, the software turns itself off so it doesn't even run when it's not needed to. 
Now, when you said process, is that really the case? It literally is like it's another, it's not another kind of, it's not like a little demon like you'd have on desktop, is it? It's just, it's a... It's not a- it's not a demon, yes. What I'm trying to visualize better for, for people, uh, technical people, it's not really a process. It's just, uh, it's not even a loop. Well, it kind of like, it listens to interactions. Whenever interaction uh, is going to be performed by the system, it's going to uh, call our software and uh, make it analyze what kind of interaction was made and uh, where was this interaction made, which screen, what element, and what type. Like, is it, if it's a rotation, which uh, is it rotation clockwise or counter? If it's a swipe, is it you know upper or lower swipe and stuff like that? So is it is it that you you kind of override touches ended or something like that or touches began we, or we something? We don't override. We, we listen. So for instance, when the system because system broadcasts uh, those information and ah. those informations uh, they go um, to the appropriate element on the screen because your software knows like the iOS operating system knows which element is on top of the screen, so it knows which element should react to touches. And it does by broadcasting the touch to all the elements, everything, even our software. And the elements that don't need that interaction, they just don't ignore it. So what we do is instead of ignoring it, we are, you know, logging it. And that's how it works. So that's, that's why our software doesn't impact anything, because it just listens to whatever is broadcast. I mean, okay, so this is great. We've put the framework into the application and we've chosen which screens to turn it on for. Um, and it collects data, and I'm assuming, does it send it to your servers? Does it send it directly to me? How does that data get transmitted? You as, you as a developer don't have to worry about anything. We collect all the data, they go anonymously to our servers, and uh, we, we aggregate them. It's a very consuming process uh, of creating a heat map because it's about putting all those uh, points into one visual uh, element. And uh, we actually developed our own... Uh, uh, file types and uh, database types, uh, aggregative types to uh, being able to quickly uh, create you a heat map. And uh, so the data is collected by our servers, it's analyzed, and anytime you want to view it, you just open your application, navigate to any screen of your application that you want to see the data, shake your phone, and you will see this little I button over there where you can just press it and choose whatever data you want to see exactly in your application you don't have to go anywhere you don't have to go to any websites you see the data live in your application so could any user do that Uh, no you as a developer decide who does that by specifying uh, the build of an application you can specify a build of an application uh, that goes to uh, your clients and then uh, your users and then you can specify a build of your application that's for your uh, administrators or people who uh, are checking the data and you do that by simply saying, show data, don't show data. That's it. And so there's there's nothing to prevent you from doing this even if in web views, right? I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. A view is a view is a view. It doesn't really matter. It's very. Um, it's based on the UI view, if you were going into so deeply. It's based on the UI view. So whatever extends the UI view, uh, it will work on it. If you have a, a custom subclass of a UI view or custom class, it will still work. What you have to think about is when you do something in uh, like a web view, the content of the web view changes and we only track the web view itself. So, you know, you have to think about if you only keep one thing in a one web view, it will give you proper results. But if you have your application entirely built in a web view, then the data will get mixed. No, but, but, we- but let, let me let me make sure I understand this correctly. If I you can say 
start tracking this thing, right? So let's say I have an application and I have one view controller that does get itself from a, 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 a from the web. And, and and I think a typical reason why people want to do that is they want to be able to, you know, customize the, the, the look and feel of something, you know, as time goes on for a particular custom, a customer or for a particular, uh, you know, event. Let's say you're tracking a sporting sporting event or something like that. And so if, if you can turn heat maps on and off, you could say, all right, we're going to test this new design for this portion of our app. Let's turn on heat maps and we'll run it for some period of time. Then I, as the developer, can take a build and if I'm going to see the same web page that my customers would have seen, I can shake the app, press the little button, and see the heat map overlaid on top of my app so I can see where other users clicked on top of, of and, and, we're, and, and, and I can see very clearly what it was they were, they were reacting to. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. What's important, it's an aggregated view, so you won't be able to see just one person. You'll see the Everybody. So it's not like for tracking, you know, sure, exactly. sure, 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 of course. But you can see, you know, people totally miss that if they touch on the top left hand corner, they can make some menu pop over or something like that. That you can tell whether whether you know, the assumptions you made were, were totally right or totally wrong. Absolutely. And, you know, usually you find those little mistakes in terms of, you know, the button is too small and people just keep, you know, hitting around it or uh, the buttons are too close to each other and people keep missing them. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, you can actually find that people try to, you know, find something else in your application by scrolling on an, on an interface that doesn't allow any scrolling and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. And another cool thing is when you, as a developer, start, you know, creating an application, you're always faced with a problem whether to design it in a different mode, like, for instance, in a landscape mode. Like, so you ask yourself, okay, will my users want to view the interface in a landscape mode? And usually you don't actually have a way of checking it out. So what we did is we actually you know, get the data for you. For instance, if your application only works in a, in a um, portrait mode and people try to, you know, see if it's going to work in a landscape mode, we'll know that uh, situation and we'll present you how many people were trying to view your application in a landscape mode so you can, you know, decide if you want to d- design it that way. So great question, which came from the chat room. Let's hear it for Coco Dog who asks, uh, you know, in order to transmit this data back, that has to go to your server, but what happens if they go offline? Uh-oh. Absolutely. We store the data up, up until 100K, and uh, if, it, if the user comes back, the data is sent to our servers. So the data is not lost. And 100K will, represents how many events? I mean, it's a lot, I'm assuming. Oh, my, that's a lot of events. I mean, the 100K is usually for big analytics programs, but we were trying to make sure that everything is going to be stored. So there's a lot of sessions, uh, Sessions basically, when somebody starts using an application, plays, it, plays with it, and then stops. And during that time, uh, we get a lot of data, but usually it's around 1K that we send during you know, one or two sessions. So I would say about 100 or you know, even more uh, times somebody will use your application, will get all those data. And after that period of time, if they're still offline, we will not uh, store any more data because it's enough. And then, okay, so uh, let's talk about the server component of it. So you had this great idea. You probably, you know, had, in some ways scratching your own itch and then you decided, okay, there's there's some market here. Then, you know, for this thing to work, you have to have some server back end. How did you attack that? Okay, so um, in terms of servers, how do we tackle that now? Well, in terms of analytics, you have to have fast, fast servers and you have to divide the work overload on different kinds of servers. One would do calculations, the other one would uh, aggregate data, and the other one would support uh, people uh, supplying the data. So our architecture is, is spread over different servers with different tasks. And uh, in terms of technology, uh, server technology, we had to figure out a way to be able to accommodate 
a lot of traffic coming in and being able to uh, quickly calculate and aggregate all those data. And uh, we were able to do it uh, after um, changing a couple of our own algorithms that we created using a Python language into a C-based language. So we basically optimized uh, our algorithms in terms of software. And we did change some um, database architectures to be able to better accommodate uh, a, lot, a lot of data coming in. So in terms of servers, there's, it's a big investment uh, on your part, but in those kind of projects, it's really a necessity you know, to be able to um, accommodate uh, a lot of data being sent in. And, and, and can I ask, so, I mean, how, how did you provision your own servers or are you deploying this on like Amazon EC2 or something like that? Or uh, We have dedicated servers uh, of our own and uh, yes, and I'm paying it by my, by myself. It's not actually sponsored by anyone. I have my own uh, uh, money that I invested in it and uh, we have our own dedicated servers that are in the United States and um, they're all connected together and working nice so far. Great. Okay, there's a question and, in the chat room about... Um, user privacy does the does the user have to opt into this uh, i mean uh, that's that's a great question i was asked a lot about it during the mac world uh, even the, the funny thing is i had some apple uh, apple guys apple developers coming in and asking you know questions and, and getting excited about the whole thing and the thing is there's no privacy issue and let me explain why because if you send x and y coordinate you cannot identify a person that it came from. We do not collect user IDs. Like we do not connect the ID of the phone of, or, or the iPad. So we don't know where the data came from. We could probably track it by IP, but we do not store that either. So the information that comes to our servers is purely anonymous. There is no information that we'll be able to identify in person. And uh, the same thing happens when you visit any kind of website. Like if you go to Amazon, they do track uh, you know where you click on the website. And the same thing we do with uh, with uh, with uh, our software. So Apple allows us to incorporate the the software that we created into an application and not even tell your users that you're doing it because you're not you know infringing on their privacy. So the only identifying information is is its X Y coordinate and what what type of gesture it was, and then some Absolutely. type of app identifier. That's it. Right. Uh, there is no really an app. Well, there is our key that you obtain from our website. Right, so which is that, how you distinguish yeah. the, the request. You know, the, the 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 data comes in. We have to know who's whose application, but that's it. You don't know who did it, just which application. Presumably, which view or which I guess the key tells you which app and which which view. Exactly. Right. And even if, sometimes I get question. Okay, but like from the banking sectors, I was asked a question. Okay, but what if somebody just you know logs in and stalls the data? It's no problem at all because it's a meaningful data. Unless you can view the data on top of the application, you can you, you are able to see what it means. But you know, data itself would not tell you anything. Now, so, so oh, sorry, John, after you. So now I, it's crystal clear to me why this is good during development, and I think in particular, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we had uh, when we were talking about the hockey app and and the the tool that's for for managing you know um, uh, developer builds and, and that type of thing. Um, this though sounds like something that might, that you might even keep on after you've deployed the application. I mean, it's up to you, but it, it sounds to me that you probably have customers who want to put this thing on. You know, obviously use it heavily during the, the initial development phase, but they may want to keep it on, kind of send a notification out saying, "Hey, we'd like to track because, particularly because we're we're, we're you know we're doing in-app purchases, or you know, again in this case of, of web views where there's something new introduced to the application that wasn't there before, and w without having to release a brand new build onto the into the app store, you can kind of validate something. Is that common? 
Well, it, it's common. Actually, you know, uh, the most common thing is to use it during the uh, initial phase, especially in big companies where they have a lot of testers. They can, or you can use it with test flight, like a, another service that you know will get your own testers for you. But uh, it's a, it's a really common thing to actually put the software into an app store and uh, get the, the results from live users and to be able to see how they reacted to, to changes they made. So, for instance, if you already have a software that, you know, exists on the market for some time and you want to, you know, check it right now, how it behaves or how users, you know, doing, uh, using it, you can still put heat maps and get, you know, maybe surprising results on how they do. Totally cool. So, um, yeah, my my question was about um, the data again. I'm assuming that also in the data you get, does it distinguish between whether the data was coming from an iPad or an iPod Touch or an iPhone and which um, uh, mode, whether it was portrait or landscape mode it was in at the time? This is a great question. It's a question that we actually ask ourselves during the development process because if you think about it, developers have a chance to design one application that will work both on iPhone and iPad. And both of those devices have different screens. So basically, that means that if somebody touches on the iPad, it will be in different place on an iPhone. So yes, our software recognizes what device uh, you're using it on and it accommodates data or it aggregates data differently for iPad and differently for iPhone. So, for instance, uh, I did a, an application that will have totally different interface on iPad. Uh, our software, you know, will just will say, "Hey, we know you're on iPad. Those data are from iPad in an, in a portrait orientation, and store the data for the portrait orientation." So, yeah, our software recognizes all those little things that you uh, might not even consider. So, how does that work from a charging point of view? If I'm doing a, a universal app and I've got an iPhone. Um screen and it works in portrait and landscape and I've got an iPad uh, with a a sort of a different view of effectively the same form but it's a different layout and it's obviously different again in portrait and landscape is that four things I've got to test it 40 bucks or is that one it 10 bucks or is it one per device how does the charging work absolutely no we don't we do not care about it it's your choice what you do we try for we charge for elements so if that element changes in, in landscape mode it's just because you as a designer wanted to change so absolutely no we're not charging for it. you pay one time for 10 bucks and then if it's displayed on ipod or if it's displayed on iphone or if it's displayed in landscape or portrait mode we collect all the data for you and you don't have to pay anything else you get all the data for all the orientations for all that 10 bucks. But then when I'm viewing the heat map and I'm viewing it on an iPad, then it's going to only show me heat map that with data aggregated from iPads. Absolutely. Correct. Because the heat map has to be related to right. relative to the interface you're viewing. So for instance, if I have a universal application, the best way to view the data is to have my iPad and my iPhone together and you know, they'll be different. It could be different data, you know, you can always, if you don't own both devices, you can always do it in the uh, simulator because it works as well in the simulator. Totally amazing. So then let's let's talk a little bit back about going to Macworld because this was, you know, Macworld is, is mostly a consumer-oriented show. I mean, there's always been little sections for developers and they kind of push this together. But you were in a section that was kind of on the far corner, of, you know, the far wall. And uh, what was the reaction? Because I mean, I'm sure there are like tons of people who, who come by and they say, okay, uh, they probably asked you, are you the booth babe? And, and can I get my picture with you? And, and then they, they asked, you know, are you giving anything away? What, 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 was, what was your experience in talking to the general public about this? 
you know what? I was laughing because the next to our booth was American Express. And the only thing they did was giving people uh, chocolate bars. And uh, so, yeah, we, we were there at the Macworld by actually a uh, lucky shot because uh, I decided a month before, uh, you know, why don't we just go to uh, Macworld where there's a, a lot of people from different industries, especially around the, the Bay Area, just coming in to see what's up with the Mac, Mac stuff. And we can, you know, introduce and maybe meet some great uh, business people and uh, maybe developers that are just interested in the uh, Mac world itself. So we gave a, a lucky shot. And the reason why we were um, placed in the, in the place where we've been is that there was no many options left when we uh, got into the Mac world uh, booth uh, choice. So when I when I uh, applied to Macworld, they said, "Hey, those are two like two two places where you can actually be seated." Because I do I did want it to be placed near the uh, iOS uh, application place on on the Macworld. They didn't have any more places of there, so uh, we were uh, positioned in uh, near the American Express booth. And yes, I did get you know most of the questions of why I'm there were from the people that were exhibiting. People that would just walk in and, you know, see the software, they would never ask me, like, why I'm there. They were just, you know, happy to see the new product. But it is true that it's a client-oriented uh, uh, exhibition, and it was just pure luck. You know, I said, you know, why don't we just go there and show? Maybe we'll meet a lot of people. And you know what? I couldn't even go to the restroom. I had to stay there, like, constantly showing people how the software works, how they can use it. I mean, it was amazing. I couldn't even, you know, imagine that I, I would be able to speak to so many people. So I'm, I will take it to, to mean that you think it was a good investment and you got what you, you, you know, kind of achieved what you'd set out to. Absolutely. I mean, it was great, uh, great experience, great uh, amount of uh, business contacts. And, and, and it was just great. Yeah, it was great business. It was great from the business uh, point of view. And then uh, we have another question that came in about uh, tracking different versions of the same screen, different releases of the app. How do you how do you how do you basically uh, differentiate between those? How do you track different versions of the same screen? If the if the screen doesn't change, we don't care because this is this is how it really works. When you purchase or you get an element to, or tracking code to track one screen or one uh, UI element, you get a data allowance. We are gonna analyze uh, 10,000 sessions for that element. A session is when a user opens your applications, plays with it, and closes it. So 10,000 of those data will come into our servers and we will analyze that for you for those 10 bucks. So for instance, if you have an application that you uh, released with our software and it aggregates data, you do not change the interface, but you put, put out another version of it and you still have more than 10,000 sessions to go, we'll, we're not charging anymore. The data will still come in and you will still be able to view the data. It's designed for developers to be as most flexible for them. So basically you only should be able to pay if you change the, the interface. Otherwise you shouldn't be able to pay. So go ahead, Scotty. Yeah, I mean, so that's the point. So if I... If I'm going to do a new release and um, I've changed that screen, I basically have to, you know, I, I book again and I get a totally different set of data back under a different key. So I, that's how I keep it all separate. Is that right? You can keep it like that, but if you didn't change the interface, no, but I mean, you, I have you made some interface. If I have changed, I mean, what, yeah, happens if, what, if, what happens if I have changed the interface, but I, I've just left the old key in? I'm, I just assume I just get back meaningless data. You're just you're getting meaningless data. I mean, it's your it's your uh, 
you have to decide what you want to do with it. You have to, you know, keep track of what you're doing with it. Okay, I mean, you, you, you initially said you were going to do a subscription model. Is that something you tried and it didn't work, or is it something you, you worked, yes, through, worked yes. through and then said, one minute, no, no, that, that won't be best. So you tried the subscription model and it didn't work, and that's why you moved. Yes, yes, we tried the subscription model at first, and, and what we found out is that people were try- after a month, which means after uh, some period of time that they were you know, getting the data, they noticed that there's enough data for them to be able to get the information. So they would uh, delete their account before the month would, you know, would be over and then create a new account you know, and next time they wanted to use it. And then we start digging a little more into it. And the thing is, when you look at the aggregated data, uh, they stop changing after a period of time. So more data comes in and the picture of users' interactions is getting better and better and better to the point where it doesn't really change because uh, it's called a statistical error, data error. And the statistical data error stops changing after, uh, after we get a certain amount of data. So we looked at it and we found out that it's about you know, 5,000 sessions uh, carries enough data for your uh, overview, for your heat map to be precise. And we give you the 10,000 session allowance to you know, even create a better a more refined picture on how people use it. So you don't have to anymore. You don't have to pay for 100,000 sessions uh, to be able to view the data. You just pay for 10,000 and uh, you get the perf- perfect overview of what's happening. So that's why we, we said, hey, subscription model just does not work for our clients because they, they know that after a certain amount of time, the data will stop changing and they do not want to pay for it. You know, Because why would you pay for something that doesn't change? You wouldn't. So, so right now, you, you install once, you, you pay once, then you can keep the data how long you want. So this is really a tool that you'll only use you know, possibly after release or maybe at the very, very end. Yeah, because, because you need to repay every time you change the screen. Obviously, in development, I might change the screen every single day. <laughs> I don't want to pay 10 bucks every day. So this is like, okay, my interface is now stable. I'm going out for a sort of final bit beta or okay i've just released release one of the app let's see i've actually released it let's see how people use it so that i can start modifying for release two so this is sort of a late or post development of release one tool as opposed to an early development tool well uh depending on depending on a developer because you know i i try not to change the interface every every day i mean that's confusing for users and besides apple takes about a week to update the the application during during development i might be changing the interface every day so i don't want to i don't say say i'm on beta one or beta two i don't want to i don't want to say okay here's a bunch of you know 100 beta testers here's here's the application and you know because tomorrow i'm going to change the interface because it's still in beta so it's not that stage it's more this is something you start using once the app is a little bit more stable in its layout if, if it's in development it's probably cl- closer to the end when it's more stable or just after that first release well i would use it at first to see what's the, what are the common mistakes common errors and then probably use it later on you know and learn on my mistakes improve the interface let it run for a couple a uh, couple months or weeks and then you know when i'm sure that i want to check it again i will do it again Okay, so this has been uh, really interesting. So, I mean, um, you set out to sort of do this because you were scratching your own itch, as, as you said. So, so, what lessons have you learned on the way? What lessons have, have I learned? Well, 
the thing is I learned that not many people or small indie developers look at the uh, user experience in terms of uh, getting uh, better sales, more downloads, or you know just making their users happy. The people just, uh, indie developers, they're not looking at it yet. And big companies, they do, they, they're the ones that, you know, coming in and, and they're investing in that kind of uh, software. So what I learned is uh, that we need to, you know, tell people about the usability testing, that it's not as expensive as they can think. And it, they, they should use it because it basically impacts their downloads, their revenues and their ratings. So that's what I learned. Well, that, that, and that's exactly it. That's to me what's so exciting about about you know this era that we're in is that this amazing power and capabilities that used to only be you know accessible to hugely funded companies has now calmed down. So, uh, you know, similarly, I, I was fascinated by by kind of what what drove you to think that you could do this because I would have to believe that not that many years ago the expense of of, of you know, making this thing work because I don't know how many people are working with you on this stuff, but I don't think you're some big, huge team, are you? We're a very small team. I have my work divided into people that work on the website part and server part, and I myself am an iOS developer, so I do my own coding as well. So it's a lot of thought put in and a lot of work, a lot of work put in. And uh, I try not to think what will come out of it. Uh, I'm trying to be positive about it. And since it's a tool, since it's a tool that I want to use myself, I think there's going to be a lot of people that will want to use it. You know? So then just a quick thing before we have to, to wrap up. So kind of, I'm always interested in kind of what might have, 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 have prompted you to do this because, you know, your prior project, I just made love and this one share something that you're interested in building, you know, a tool that can collect data from a lot of different places, but then you seem to be very interested in, in looking at large sets of data. What, what, where did this come from? What did you study? I, I really have, uh, what did I study? Well, I studied computer science in, in Memphis, Tennessee, in the U.S., where I did my bachelor's degree. And then I, I went back to uh, Poland, and then I uh, did my master's in computer science in the uh, Polish-Japanese Institute of Computer Science. But the, uh, let's say, love for stuff, was always there and any project that I was uh, putting my hands on always related to some uh, data mining, data viewing and such and it just kind of stick with me and uh, this was just a natural flow going into analytics tools. And so you're in Poland right now, are you in Warsaw or where are you? Yes, I'm in Warsaw, I'm in Poland, that's where my company is based in. And are are you are is there much of a cocoa or you know iOS uh, cocoa cocoa touch uh, community there or are you kind of the the oddball there? I'm not I'm not the oddball. I mean surprisingly, I mean there is not enough uh, cocoa developers here. I mean if you just check the uh, websites for uh, uh, Objective C or uh, iPhone developers, I mean there's plenty of them. Uh, the market is uh, very needing of those developers. If you look at the companies that do offer uh, applications on the iOS platform, there is not many to choose from. A lot of them, they use PhoneGap uh, as a platform to build the applications, so it's not really a native development. Uh, it's a big market to uh, you know, fill with, uh, with um, Cocoa development. But what's interesting is when you ask me to uh, give you some input about the uh, Cocoa, I tried to access the universities and, and colleges over here in Poland to see if they're actually teaching people how to code in Objective-C or do any Cocoa development. And unfortunately, not many uh, universities or schools focus on that. The only thing that I could find was uh, uh, just a small... Uh, 
small companies would offer, you know, teaching uh, Objective-C, but that's, that's about it. I mean, so when I look at the market, market is, uh, I look at, you know, the market where there's a lot of young people, students who learn by themselves and uh, try to do small applications, be indie developers. Not many, not really many companies are still doing it, are yet doing it. And did you ever think that, uh, you know, uh, why am I here in Warsaw, I should come to Silicon Valley? Or, or do you think that, 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 you know, the fact that you were taking a slightly different path, it kind of makes it a more interesting story when you're talking to people or, or how, how, how has that worked for you? Well, you know what? I think the, the, the great thing about uh, my uh, past experiences was that I used to live in U.S. and uh, I kind of uh, have an easy way of just, you know, going to U.S. like that and just talking to, you know, people around. But if you grow up in Poland, you're more, more close uh, in the sense that it's tougher for you to reach those markets. And when, even if you look at those little things like uh, developer meetups, which are those free meetups that, you know, you, you just hook up with your uh, friends, developers uh, from the community. Like, there's plen- plenty of that in, ter- in the Bay Area. There's, like, none of that that I could find in, in Warsaw area. So if you are there in, in, in the Bay Area, it's great for you to, you know, be able to <laughs> access a lot of groups that can help you out and, and uh, be able to be a support here, there is not any of that those groups yet. But after they hear the tremendous success that you've had, everybody's going to want to change what they do, and they're going to follow along in your path. They're going to end up in Memphis, developing a taste <laughs> for, for you know, uh, you know, hickory smoked, you know, slow roasted kielbasa made from pork or something. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I do miss that barbecue from Memphis. All right, Scotty. I think I don't know. I don't. I, I could keep going forever, but I, I think I'll, I'll I'll wind it up. Yeah, I think um, Cyprian. That's been. Um, I think that's been really interesting. Um, uh, it's uh, definitely something I'm going to go and have a look at. I think, and, and I think a lot of our listeners will go and look at. So, thank you for for coming on and um, sharing that, John. Thank you for bumping into Cyprian at Macworld and making the effort to make sure he came on the show. Yeah, hopefully he's not going to sue me. So. Yeah, Thanks, guys, so hopefully. much. <laughs> uh, uh, Cyprian, just um, I mean, we haven't actually mentioned the website or, or you on Twitter or anything like that. So, I mean, if you have a blog or your Twitter or the website, just just give us all those details right now. Okay, well, uh, we have a company um, Twitter. It's called Hitma dot underscore ps. So you can visit there. We post some uh, cool information about the statistics on our blog, which is blog at dot hitma dot ps. You can visit, or you can just access the heatma.ps website where you can, you know, get links to Twitter or our blog. So uh, if you just, you know, want to give us uh, a short note or email me, uh, use uh, Cyprian at heatma.ps to, you know, shoot me an email you want or ask me anything. Uh, I'm always listening. I'm always with my iPhone near the bed. So anytime it is, if it's an American time or European time, I'm still able to uh, talk to you guys. If you're with your, your iPhone in your bed, then we can say that the, the amount of times that actual love is being made is probably very low then. <laughs> well, yeah, I do have a wife. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to stop right there. It's <laughs> <laughs> an opportunity you just missed there, John, but I, I'm, quite no, grateful. I'm quite grateful you did really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John, I'm sure nobody cares anymore after that. But uh, where will they find your information? <laughs> you can find out all about my snarky product, Memory Miner, at memoryminer.com, where I blog about it. Memoryminer.com/blog on Twitter. You can find me as Jembe, D J E M B E, like the West African drum. And I am Scotty, and you can follow me on Twitter as MacDevNet. 
And obviously, iDeveloper.tv is where you can uh, find this podcast. Um, although that's a stupid thing to say, because if you're listening to this podcast, then you've probably already found it. Um, and other training videos um, for OS X and uh, iOS developers. And, and today, my personal blog came back, wafflewithmeaning.com. Can't promise, oh. any, can't promise that there is anything of any interest at all to developers, but it's just a, a place that and now and again I... I put up and then I post four posts and then kill the thing again but uh, it's there again in the moment wafflewithmeaning.com and you can look at how dull my life really is right okay thank you very much chat room for joining us we apologize that the um poor sound quality that we might have been getting today with the skype it's uh, for some reason uh, been playing up today we have been recording locally so hopefully the final uh, show that goes out on the feeds will have a slightly higher quality though um we uh, will need to check those files as well first uh, chat room, some good questions. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for those who've listened on the feeds and downloaded. And um, we'll be back soon. And so until next time, you take care.